Good deal. Awesome. Give them a minute. Yeah, I know. It's always a party. It's what we like. That's why we gather together, right? Celebrate Jesus, but enjoy each other's fellowship as well, because we are the family of God. And so, here we are, Esther, week three. Hopefully you all celebrated Purim well on Monday and Tuesday. No? No? You, you did? Okay. Well, I hope you really didn't, because if you've read chapter nine, it's the reverse of genocide. Instead of the Jews being killed, it's the Jews killing. And then they have a feast. You know, and it's like, ah, we can all have the feast. That's great. Let's do it. And so, as you know, and as we've been going through this, we're certainly talking about God's providence, his work behind the scenes and orchestrating everything. And as well as we're talking about Christ, even though the book of Esther makes no mention of God whatsoever, it makes it a bit of a challenge. But if you've heard about the study no of Christology of in and of it itself, it then you know that all scriptures. But if you've heard about the study no of Christology of in and of it itself, it then you know that all And I'm, I'm repeating myself <laughs> in an odd way. All right, something must be going on back there, but that's okay. And so we talk about authority, we talk about law, and we talk about justice. This is certainly something that we experience here on earth, but it's also something that spiritually as God is creator has orchestrated as well. And so within that Christology, this little passage, even though we're always playing a dangerous game into morality, right? Because it doesn't say anything about God. It's not spiritual. You don't see a lot of grace in this passage, but ultimately this is very gospel centered and gospel oriented. I included on your notes there the couple passages from Romans and really it's the first three chapters of Romans which really lays out the foundation of everyone falls short of the glory of God and that's why we need Jesus. And so without further ado let's begin and let's let's Praise the Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially those that we fail to see. And as we talk about your providence, that is exactly what we're talking about. The things that we fail to see, but we know, Lord Jesus, we've tasted and seen indeed that you are good. So, we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord Jesus, as we approach your word, certainly tune our hearts and our minds to your will, and may this be for your glory and ultimately for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, a little intro before we read uh, the passage as well uh, in Esther chapter 1, 13 to 22. Certainly just want to remind you all of the truth and the centerpieces in this. Uh, Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that is this book of Esther, hope for God's people. That's why they read this on Purim every year annually, because it's filled with hope and encouragement that God's promises he will keep. And that's exactly what you see here. You see the near genocidal extinction of the Jews but God's like, no, those are my people. I made a promise to them, and the roles are going to be reversed. So we also know that providence, according to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, is God's activity throughout history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him in faith. 
It's the evidence that God has not left this planet alone in the vast universe or forgotten for a moment the human condition and situation. God visits, God touches, he communicates, controls, and intervenes coming before and between man and his needs. When we are really able to see God's providence in our lives, it's the grounds for faith building and developing a heart of thankfulness and gratitude, which is something we all enjoy, but we don't get to see very often. And so, may the Lord continue to bless us in that way as he sanctifies us. So Esther chapter 1, verse 13 through 22 reads this way. On the seventh day, when the heart... Sorry. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marcina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Ashashwaris delivered by the eunuchs. Then Memukan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes. And the king did as Memukan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. And so it's interesting how this story is progressing. We started off with 180 days of pomp and glory, right? Six months of the king showing off all of his goods. Then we go into seven days of quote-unquote feasting, right? Another word for partying, I'm guessing, right, in the end. And the king's edict, there is no compulsion when it comes to the opportunities to drink. So, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command. 
So after six months of self-glorification and seven days of really hard partying, now comes time to make an important life-altering and changing decision. <laughs> right? We've all said that before, right? We've all been like, you know, now that I've partied and I have no idea even who I am anymore, I should make a really life-altering, important decision for the benefit of the community at large. And so... This is where we find ourselves. It's almost comical, right? But we know that God can work through the ridiculous. Because as human beings, because of our sin, there are many times and in many ways that we are ridiculous. Ridiculous to ourselves, ridiculous to those around us, just because we want what we want when we want it, and no one else can tell us otherwise. And so, <laughs> this brings to the first point, right? According to whose law? I think this kind of makes sense, right? And, you know, who, who are we doing this for and why are we doing this? We see ultimately that the Persians have their own, you know, rules and their laws, whatnot. But uh, it, it's interesting. The king said to the wise men who knew the times, but this is really the procedure that the king did in the time. And when you look at the people who are near him, they're all male and leaders as well of their own provinces and their own kingdoms. They're the ones who actually get to see the king's face in this story. And so they're all getting together, making up their own laws and their own rules, right? Like who can stand against the king? Remember that. Who can stand against the king? And so it always brings up, and again, this is the dangerous part. It's kind of the morality section of it, if you will. Who are we ultimately following? And while everyone wants to say, well, I follow Jesus, if you're ever so honest with yourselves, the reality is that you're probably not on a regular basis. You're following other influences. You're following the culture that surrounds you. You're following your own best interests according to what you believe your best interests to be at that moment in time. So, Whoever that is and whoever that authority is, let's call it very simply you. Then comes the question of the law and the authority. So yes, I've got a higher power above me, and that power is ultimately me, or in this story is King Ahasuerus, right? But when the law, whose law are we ultimately following too? Is it a personalized type of law? Like, I have a good idea of what the right thing to do is in this moment but I'm also a sinner bent on my own way. So the self-gratifying law that I'm going to impose for me to justify my actions and declare them righteous works out for me. We like it when it's in our favor and we scoff at the law ultimately when it isn't in our favor. So maybe we've all come to the question of this and like eric you're kind of picking on king ahasuerus and his seven people in a sense like they didn't know jesus they didn't know god the father they didn't know but they do and we all do and that's part of the reason why i added the romans passages in there for when gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is ultimately written on their hearts, while their consciences bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
That comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. You can read it for yourself. I do encourage you all certainly to read those first three chapters of Romans, as there are a lot of parallels in this. And so, what can be known about God is plain to see and has been made known to them. For his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So everyone is without excuse. But all of us exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, problem with religion, problem with laws, problem with these things is that it implies a works-based system. Earning my own salvation or earning my own righteousness. But the power lies in verse 15 here. This is where I think the biggest parallel happens. This king is all concerned about what the queen hasn't done for the king, which was very simply come. So we read verse 15 there, and it says, According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs. Now, let's take it up another level. You're not the queen, you're not the king, you're just you. But I read this and got a little nervous until I remembered the grace of God and you know the mercy that he's shown on all of us. Because I read it a little like this. According to the law, what's to be done to Eric Gross? Because he has not performed the command of God the Father, the Creator, delivered by his Son, our Lord Jesus. Oh, it punched me a little. It hit me in the guts. It made me to think. caused me to stop. It made me praise the Lord ultimately in the end. Because the true authority in this world, even though you know we certainly have different authority figures, and yes, we are ultimately our own authority, but when you go to work, you have an authority. As a child, your parents are your authority. Ultimately, there are police as your authority or government above you as well in all of this, that we have all of those authorities. But there are no greater authority than God in all matters. And so, interestingly enough, God's using this situation both as a method of making room for Esther to come into the picture because Vashti has to leave the picture at this time. But I believe it also, again, highlights the plight that maybe we neglect, or at least the vast majority of people neglect in this world because they don't honor God as God. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So you see that around world and around life, that a lot of people are worshiping a lot of different things and a lot of different people, all of which are not God. And so, according to whose law, certainly something to think about, but we're all held under God's law, whether we know it or we don't know it. And again, 
Romans goes into that a little more. But the problem is, is that we always personalize it to suit our needs. And King Ahasuerus is no different. He's asking for opinions, but the opinions of the people that he's asking from are people in the exact same position as he is, complete and absolute authority. But as we know, there is only one complete and absolute authority in Scripture. And so it's interesting how it blows up in the second point here, the atrocities against the king. It's very interesting because they, again, blow it very much out of proportion. One of my favorite Proverbs, and I gave it to the worship team this week, and I know I've said it before here too, is Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Amen. <laughs> and I think we've all been there at some point in time, some way. And so, did Vashti really do wrong against all the officials and all the people and all the provinces of the king by not coming to see the king on this seventh day of partying when who knows what exactly was going on? And so, will the queen's behavior ultimately be made known to all women, turning them to contempt as the king's servant here has laid out? Contempt and wrath and plenty is what he says in verse 18. There will be no shortage of contempt and wrath. Now that one woman has not come when we have called, all of them will not come when we call, regardless. Now, verse 19, in search of one who is better. It's an interesting paradox, right? Trading one for another. I think we've talked about this uh, at least. Uh, I don't even know how to make this land and make it sound right, but trading one wife for another wife, like one, one bag of problems for another bag of problems. I think, I think we've all done that. I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> My wife is not a bag of problems. There's days. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We all have days. Let's be real. That's why we need a Savior. Let's not ever lose sight of that, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Yes, I'm being sanctified. Yes, I continue to grow. But at the same time, it's very hard to get out of my own way. I am my own authority. I am my own lawgiver and rule keeper. But as I continue to learn and continue to submit to the King, life becomes so much better, so much freer, so much more enjoyable just to very simply glorify God and enjoy Him in all of this. And so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting paradox, right? And so it's like he's trading one queen for another queen. And it's like, well, what did you do? And again, this is all just our human nature on, on high profile, right? Because we've all thought this. We've all done this. We've all been in, you know, probably numerous relationships in our lifetime, you know, for whatever reasons that we think we know best again. But <laughs> the point of all this is the men are scared of the women. I don't know if you've caught this or not, but the men are scared of the women. Like there's going to be a huge female uprising and the men are, are, are never going to, you know, be able to deal, right? I know some of you women are like, yeah, we, yeah we've been waiting for this for thousands of years. But... Uh, 
you know, it never casts, it never works out that way. But, you know, I do want to say this, that the men are scared of the women that they might not obey their husbands ultimately. So they set up a law for their wives to ultimately fear the authority of their husbands. And as we've all had different authorities over our lives, what kind of love grows from fear? Does any kind of love grow from fear? No. Does respect grow from fear? So this is an interesting paradox, right? I find this part fascinating because most kings, most authoritarian figures uh, typically rule with an iron fist, right? Like you will respect what I say or I will just kill you. I will end you. I will do whatever it takes to get my way. And then the hammer comes down, however that looks. Our Lord Jesus certainly could have done that. He certainly could have come down and lorded his lordship over everybody and been like, I think it's time for you to bend the knee. You bend the knee, and you bend the knee, and you bend the knee, and everybody bend the knee. But he didn't do that, did he? In fact, he came down to serve other people. And as it's written, perfect love casts out fear. And it is within God's perfect love to forgive us, to create Jesus as the mediator between God and men, that there is no need to fear in that relationship. Like, God is God, okay? I do think, you know, when we talk about awe and reverence, that's another word for fear, to, to talk about it. But I also do say that I think there does need to be a little bit of fear-fear, because He's God and you're not. He can do anything and you can't. Like, you think you're all-powerful, but you, you can't. You can't make yourself breathe. You can't make yourself stop breathing. You can try, but your body's going to continue to do that without you and your interventions. So that perfect love casts out fear, and God holds out that olive branch of forgiveness through his Son, even though we're the ones who have committed atrocities against the king. Queen Vashti didn't come when the king commanded. That's what she's guilty of, as far as we can tell from this story. Maybe there's something else back there, but we're not given it, right? And so we can't make assumptions. We can make assumptions, but we ought not to make assumptions. How about that? That might be better said. And so with these atrocities against the king, they almost, they're laughable from a human perspective, but when we take it to the spiritual perspective, we've all defamed God in countless ways, in countless times, and we didn't acknowledge him as God or give him credit as God. You know, we typically talk about the word hate, which is a huge issue in the world today, and that's the same as murder, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Even if you think about your brother like you hate him. It's the same as committing murder because you're defaming him. And then as you're defaming him, you're ultimately defaming God because he's created in God's image, your brother that you hate so much. And so do you really hate your brother or do you hate that sin that dwells within your brother? That's the better question. And odds are, it's that sin. <laughs> you don't necessarily hate the person 
you just hate the sinner or sin. So those atrocities against the king, that has a lot to do with the whole purpose of the gospel as well and why we have it, because we've all sinned against God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the propitiation through his son, Jesus. And so, in as much as we see the ultimate lawgiver in this, it was King Ahasuerus, but then God the Father being the ultimate lawgiver, and then thinking about according to whose law do we follow, then we have the atrocities against the king, which aren't really atrocities by our worldly standards, but at this time and in this way, this was a big deal uh, to them. And so they set a plan, and they set a plan in motion. And even as odd as it is, I think it's a terrible plan because would Queen Vashti's not coming to see the king really spread throughout all the kingdom? Or is there a way we can guarantee that it spreads throughout all the kingdom by ordering a decree? Let's order a decree. And that way we're sure to humiliate ourselves. I don't understand it, but there's a lot I don't understand. Right? There's a lot we all don't understand in all of this. But praise be to God, again, in this, that this is the type of weird, wild, wacky scenarios that God continues to work through in order to betterment his people and his providence. And so the advice pleased the king. And what did the king do? He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. That very last line, as offensive as it may be to some people, but that is God's decree, right? In a sense, isn't that interesting that the work of the law is written on a heart? These guys are all scared that women aren't going to respect them, and... I do want to say that, that as Christians, and especially as God the Father, you know, as, as, as husbands, as God created marriage to be an example of the relationship that God has with his people, our relationships and our marriages as Christians, I imagine that none of us rule with iron fists and authority. I think the respect is earned or given because we do sacrifice for our wives. We do sacrifice in our marriage and our relationships. It's not all a one-way street. It's two-way street. And the, the concept, again, like how God has done it to earn respect rather than rule with authority is a much more pleasing and functional and fruitful way of living our lives together. Marriage isn't easy, make no mistake about that. It's hard when you take two sinners bent on their own way, stick them together, and then be like, now you have to go away together. There's bound to be issues, right? But how we handle that and how, you know, Jesus has changed into our lives, the whole authority and respect. But God did create the man to be the head of the household, right? Just like Jesus is the head of the church. It's like Jesus is the, the, the bridegroom and we're the bride of Christ as his church. So he's that head. He's the groom. He's the leader. He's the example. He's the sacrifice. And then we follow him or submit to him. Now we all understand that 
because of the fall, the curse has happened, which flips everything on its head, which naturally explains why men don't want to lead and the women ultimately feel like they need to lead because, well, the men don't want to lead. So we see that chaos kind of play out in many relationships in many ways because that's how society has led it to be. But all the peoples need to hear this. That's the point of what the king's making here, just like all the people need to hear the gospel. Make no mistake about that. But now the righteousness of God has manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So brothers and sisters, even in this passage, the gospel message can be found thanks to God's providence. This whole thing, even though we're talking about one king and, and one scenario and one wild scenario, and certainly we talk about God's intervention in this, I don't know specifically where God has you know, used his righteous right hand in this moment, or if he's just like letting them go on their way in an effort to, to move forward. But either way, this had to happen, and it has to happen in order for Esther to replace Vashti. And so, Jesus had to come, too, in that same way, in that providence. Because if, if there's ever an opportunity for Eric Gross to be reconciled back to God the Father, Jesus, the Son, needed to come. He needed to come, and he needed to live that perfect life. Because if it's based on my own merit, if it's based on my own law, if it's based on my own authority, based on my own sense of justice. I don't measure up with God's level of righteousness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is set apart so much from the things that we know. And his righteousness, while still able to be seen in, in people and the glory of the earth, if you will, Ours never matches up, because once we've sinned, how do we pay for that sin? There's no way, unless you're a high priest, and we're not a high priest. So, we needed a high priest. We needed a savior. We need someone to do what we couldn't do. And so, rather than being like King Ahasuerus in this moment, where we set up our own authority, we set up our own laws. We set up our own sense of justice that's very much personalized for us. And we see this in society, how much personalization has come of the law. There is so much hypocrisy going on uh, in the world today, especially when it comes to human bodies. Like, you can tell me, or, or you can't tell me what to do with my guns, but I can tell you what to do with your body and your birth control. And it's just, it's nuts. It makes no sense. It's hypocrisy at its finest. It's 
people wearing masks pretending to be something that they're not. But praise be to God that he's always told us the truth in all of these matters. And then, because he told us the truth, we need to wrestle with that truth. We need to accept that truth for what it is. God is still with us. God is working every day. John 16.33 says, Behold, in, you know, in this world you will face tribulation. You will. Not if, when. You will face tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so we uphold it. We uphold the law. Not out of law, but out of love. Out of respect. Out of honor for another person. Because, as we know from this type of passage, this type of law pressed down on people, it's only a matter of time until they rebel. And so, when you want people to do these things, it might work for a little bit, but it's always going to, to bust, if you will. But out of love and out of respect, without the fear, and to actually have admiration for one another, that's the way to lead. That's the way to lead your family. That's the way to lead your children. That's the way to lead your life. If we want to do it out of fear, we're going to have struggles. Remember the examples here. Again, you've got the human example, and then hopefully just the brief God example, because, of course, all of Scripture speaks to the redemption that's found in Christ Jesus for us and through us and with us. And so... Even in this passage, the gospel can be found. In all of Scripture, the gospel can be found. And we can be grateful for that. And we can be grateful for the Scriptures itself that cause us to think, that continue to shape us. We can be grateful for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that sanctifies us, and continues to change us into Christ's likeness. Many times and in many ways we pray for situations to be changed, like this. But the truth of the matter is, we want God to change us, to handle and address the situations otherwise. All of these are good things in light of the Christ, and all people need to hear the good news of the gospel. Because, unfortunately, people believe religion, which is that works-based system. They, don't, they know of the Lord Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They don't have that relationship with him that we have. And so when we think about God's law and don't know the facts about God's law, and I remember as an outsider looking in especially, I was like, why do I need to follow another person's laws? Why do I need to you know, learn something else that, again, is just, I've got this myself, right? But how wrong I was in all of those moments and how much I needed to learn, you know, the truth of life and how it was meant to be lived and how it was meant to be enjoyed. Now, is it ever perfect? No, but by the glory of Jesus and through the glory of Jesus, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all of these things keep changing and every day gets a little brighter and every day gets us a little closer to when we're with the Father as well. And so, as it stands for now, the authority, while there are still earthly authorities, is God, the Father, the Creator. The laws come from the Creator. No one knows the creation better than the one who created himself. 
And when it comes to that sense of justice, again, going back to that, that horrible, according to the law, what's to be done to Eric Gross? Because he's not performed the command of God the Father delivered by his son Jesus. But we know the truth that, yes, I have failed. Yes, I don't follow the law. But it is by God, his perfect love, casting out that fear of relationship that he forgives me, that I'm able to be reconciled, restored to a right and a real relationship with my heavenly father, and then to live in light of the reality that he is real. Because as it says in Hebrews, in order to please God, one must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. And faith is a gift from God. That's a lot. There's a lot in there. It's a lot to ponder. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to question, but it's a lot to praise the Lord for. And as he works to develop that heart of gratitude within you, rest easy knowing that he's in control and he's got it. And he continues to have it even through messy seven days of partying when it's time to make a life-altering decision, and it's a very poor decision that is made. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your continued unmerited favor on our lives. And just thank you for those that are here this morning. Uh, just ask humbly, Lord, that you continue to work within us. You continue to sanctify us by the Spirit. You continue to uh, just very simply love us. And may, Lord, may we, Lord Jesus, follow the two great commandments that you put in our hearts, that may we love you with all of our hearts, which is our mind, our soul, and our strength. And may we continue to love our neighbor as ourselves, and may we continue to bless this community as we continue to go out on mission with you. So thank you again, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.